Hello, and welcome to episode 125 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, September 28th, 2023. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Pretty good. No complaints. Excellent. It's beautiful out, and it's the end of September, which (sighs) flew by. Just, yeah. Yeah. That's craziness. It's still, I love autumn all the way through, so I'm happy to be savoring it. Yeah, we are having some beautiful weather at the moment, although I heard that rain is coming this e- tomorrow evening. Well, good. I'm really behind on my my nightstand pile of books, so um, that'll be okay for me. Yeah, the hardly strictly bluegrass people are going to be a little sad, though. Oh, yes, that's true. Yeah, but I have other plans, so I will not be there, unfortunately. But yeah, so... I mean, we just have a regular episode. We were just chatting about this. There is nothing special about this one, except that I was thinking about, like, I'm super excited to talk about all of the segments, which is not always 100% true. You know, I'll have something that I'm excited about every single segment, which includes on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand. I'm very excited. I'm so glad. So we should start chatting, probably. Away with it. On the needles. So there were... Some things that did not happen. I did not work on my Rome shawl at all, but that's okay. And I thought that I was not going to work on my Vanilla is the New Black Socks either, but I did because I had an event last night that involved sitting and listening, and I will talk about that in a later segment. So I did get several inches of the leg of a sock done, so that was exciting. It was really exciting. Well, do you want to hear about the saga of the birthday socks? Or the new beanie cast on? Um, Birthday socks first, then beanie cast on. Okay, nice. All right, so the birthday socks, which I had talked about last time, I had started them or was planning to start them. And you posted a picture of them in Instagram. Yes. That was unfortunately the first sock (laughs) that I was posting about an hour before husband was getting home and we were going to open gifts. So I did not finish both socks for the birthday. So the pattern is Lamino Socks by Sarah Jordan, and the yarn is Archaic Fibers in their Fremont Tweed in the colorway Let the Great World Spin, which is a fantastic light brown tweed, and it has just been a delight to work with. Is this a new-to-you sock pattern, or have you done this one before? No, this one's new. I picked it because I am participating in the pigskin party this year from Down Cellar Studio, and it is Super fun as always, and you can knit whatever you want. But you do get extra points if you knit with sponsor patterns, and Sarah Jordan is one of the sponsors. So I went through, you can go into Ravelry and search all of the sponsor patterns. I limited it to socks, and I was looking for one that would be good for Simon. And I found this one, it's just very textured, looked simple enough, because I've done so many just plain Jane striped self-striping socks for him so I wanted to do something a little special for the birthday and I had about a week and a half I still maintain that would have been enough to finish both socks except that I didn't read the pattern fully and because of all the cables on the front of the sock it pulls in a lot so I cast on the number of stitches that I would normally cast on for him and got a sock that would fit me you made him compression socks, is yes. what you mean. Except that I don't think he could get them on. <laughs> so, I mean, it was perfect. It was lovely, perfect fit for me. And I had gotten 
all the way through the heel and finished the, I think I had finished the decreases for the gusset and I tried it on and I kept telling myself with the leg, I was like, no, it'll stretch, right? Because it's, it's cables, but they're small cables. And so it ends up being almost ribbing. And I kept saying, oh, it'll fit. It'll be fine. It'll, maybe it's a little snug. And then I tried it on after I'd done the heel. And I just thought, no, there's no way this is going to get over his heel. So that was a little frustrating. But he was gone the weekend before his birthday. So I had a lot of time to just blast out that second sock, which I, or I guess really the first sock, my new first sock. It's a really intuitive pattern. It's a 12-row repeat, but it makes a ton of sense. So you can just knit, knit, knit. And on the leg, I pulled out my nine inch circs, which I don't always use, but it does make for some nice knitting. Usually I use magic loop and you have to pull the needle, the, the wire around all the time. And that is still my preferred method, but it is nice to sometimes just be able to keep knitting. So I was able to get that done. And I think I was about, I had gotten just to the toe when he got home, but then he went out to walk the dog. So I had another, I don't know, 45 minutes, another 45 minutes or so to work on the sock and try and get the toe done. And I, I finished most of it. I did, I wasn't able to graft it shut. So that was a little frustrating. So I put the whole project bag with the socks and the yarn and the, you know, half a sock that I wasn't going to finish into the gift bag. (laughs) (laughs) And he opened it and gave me this weird look. What is this? So it was, it was, it was good. I could have him try it on, make sure it was long enough and that it did in fact fit, which it did. So we're happy about that. He seemed to like it. He recognized that it was different. So that was good. It was very squishy. And so I am working on the second one now. I am, I am still on the leg of that one. So I still have to finish that. I think I have another one or two repeats on that. And then the heel and the foot. And he does have long feet. So it takes a hot second, but it's not too bad. And again, it's very easy knitting and fun because, you know, cables. Yeah. So it's good. I'm excited about that journey. I would have liked to have finished them in time, but it's okay. But then the other thing I cast on, because I've had this yarn for months waiting for this week, it is Shetland Wool Week. Hooray. So exciting. I am obviously not there. I didn't actually have plans to go there. It was not in my schedule for this year in any way. But I have been, I can't remember if it was last year or two years ago when I realized this was a thing and that they have a hat pattern. And I think it only costs a dollar. It's to help support this event. But I kept missing when it was available. And so this year I put it on my schedule. I think it came out in June. I put it on my schedule to remind myself to look for it and look for a yarn kit because it's Fair Isle. It's all these colors and putting that kit together or putting the colors together just seemed like too much for me. I'm sure I could, I guess, figure it out, but I really wanted to just get the pattern, get a kit. And so that's what I did in June. And I had gone back and forth about when I wanted to knit it. I want to have it ready for wool week. Did I want to knit it during wool week? And that is what I ultimately went with because it is like 70 degrees this week. I do not need to be wearing a crunchy wool hat. (laughs) So I I cast it on on, I think it was this Saturday, which is the first day of the event. And it's super fun. I'm probably about a third of the way through because I have mostly been focusing on the socks, but I do want to get that finished. And it's easy knitting. Color work is super fun and easy because it is just knitting, Mm. even though it is two colors. I am able to do it 
one in each hand and the there aren't any super long floats to catch which is really nice so that helps i think with the tensioning as well it's a really pretty pattern this year it's got a big flowers oh the name is the i have no idea how to pronounce this bougie floor <laughs> beanie by allison rendell and the kit that i got from oh i forgot the name of the yarn shop but it's jameson's of shetland yarn there's shetland spindrift i think it's the yarn shop i got it from was in michigan michigan or minnesota i apologize so it's a kit it has all the yarn you need they pick out the nice colors which is very helpful so mine is a black background and then several shades of gray for the most part. And then a little hit of pink. Like I think that colorway is called Sherbert. That gives you an idea of the colorway. And then a little bit of blue as well. So it's really, it's very enjoyable. And you change your contrast color every five rows or so, except like the pink and the blue are just little tiny blips, which kind of makes me sad because I do really love those colors. But... I will have lots of that those colors left over it's beautiful. to work with. Yeah, so I'm very excited to be working on it. And I do want to get both of those finished because I have a mystery knit along starting on Saturday the 1st. First is Saturday? Yeah, I think so. Not the West Knits knit along, although I am very excited to watch those shawls come together. I and mean, if any of you are knitting along with that, I will be watching because that's always fun. No, mine is a clue themed knit along. From I remember this kit that you or not kit? Yeah, no, it's a kit. Yeah, it's so, so it's fun. It's kind of for Halloween. It's like a countdown to Halloween, which I don't necessarily. I'm not a super Halloween person. Halloween is very big in San Francisco, and that is not really me. But clue themed, it just sounded really fun. So you get a full skein of yarn, twelve mini skeins, along with a pattern for this shawl plus some goodies and there is you're trying to figure out you get a little clue card like the game clue and there are clues to figure out who where what you know as you do in clue so i'm very excited to get that started and see what the colors are it's from forbidden fiber and i think she designed the pattern as well and she's very excited about <laughs> the pattern so i'm i am excited to see what it's going to be but i you know that's a lot of things to get working on. Oh, that was the other thing. I haven't done it all. No, I have not at all started a sweater. I had wound the yarn so that I could at least swatch for it. Haven't done that in even a little bit. Haven't even looked at needles. No idea what's that. That's just sitting. And now if I'm starting a shawl, I don't even know if that'll happen either. But you did do your dark academia sweater. I don't remember the name of it. The like gothic window one. Oh, dark academia. Oh, I did remember it. Yeah. Like, that was a really intense sweater make. Like, you're coming off of a lot of sweaters from well, the summer, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, two. That's a lot. And the one the one that is still sitting, and, and I haven't figured out what I want to do about it. No, but I wanted to start another one, because I'm excited to have yeah, for sure. fall sweaters, and I just, it didn't. So I'm a little sad about that, but I've really been enjoying everything else that I've been knitting, so I'm okay with it. I, it you know, when the time is right, the only thing I'm concerned about is that by the time I get around to being ready to swatch for it, my heart will want a different sweater now. <laughs> so I'll have this yarn wound up and I won't knit with it, but that's fine. It'll, it'll all work out. Plenty of yarn options and no one is depending on me knitting a certain sweater. So that's what's going on on the needles. How that's about a you? lot. It's good. Yeah, yeah. It's very solid knitting. Excellent. Thanks. 
tis the season. Well, all of the seasons are your knitting season. Well, yeah. Okay, so we've had a really busy, intense household this month. So my lists are all pretty light, but that's okay. Because I think I'm going to have more painting time in October. Speaking of Shetland, I am getting nearly ready to send off the bird prize. And so if Laura hears this before it lands, close your ears because <laughs> I'm impatient. I painted Birds of Scotland in an accordion, back side and front side. I, I was super inspired from the Anne Cleves books. And it made me wish that as I was listening to all the Anne Cleves books, that I was jotting down bird references along the way. Because I don't know, there's something there. So the bird prize was for three bird-themed squares in the bingo from our summer bingo. And it's the first time we've done it. I don't know that we'll do it again. It seemed really fun this year and apropos. Yeah, they're Scottish birds. <laughs> I think I'll post a photo of that maybe after she's received it. At least I'll save that for her. Okay, and then I am working. I have the drawing done on the rabbit piece that is going into a show in late October. It is missing something, and I'm not sure what, which is why I haven't started painting it, because I'm still talking to the rabbit to see what we're missing. And then, this is back to needles, I guess, I watched an entire pants fitting class, mm -hmm. and it was about the top-down center-out fitting method that was designed by Ithaca Maven. I've been watching the the full class from Stacy, who is the Crooked Hem, on YouTube and Instagram. And Stacy has taken Ithaca Maven's technique and made it super accessible for home sewists. I'm really excited to fit pants this way because I have had some pants failures, and hopefully this will pan out. That's kind of it in the in the craft and art realm of my life. Good stuff. So on the table, I've got some interesting things. I've got one with meat. What? I know. Meat and gluten all in one. Very exciting. Who is gone? <laughs> Let me guess. The husband. <laughs> yeah. So the recipe is for pepperoni pizza gnocchi, and it is by Ali Slagle who did I Dream of Dinner, but it is in the Sipley Genius from Food 52 cookbook. Can we just give a shout out to Pizza Beans from Days Past? Oh, yeah, that's a delicious one. The, if this, if pepperoni pizza gnocchi sounds good to you, and Monica will elaborate, then you might also like Pizza Beans from Smitten Kitchen. Or the crunchy, cheesy bean bake from Weeknight Vegetarians, which is basically the same thing. Oh, really? Yeah. I only know Deb's. Oh, yeah, this, this one is really good. I think it has more cheese. Tell us about the gnocchi. <laughs> so the gnocchi. I was looking for something to do with my bok choy. Didn't know what to do with it. So I was using my... A perennial problem, frankly. I know. I mean, obviously you can do a stir fry or, you know, but I wanted I wanted to find something a little, little new and interesting. And I came across this recipe. I used my Eat Your Books. It's a website and you can search through your cookbooks for ingredients like all of your cook I mean you have to input them but they've done all the indexing you can find your whatever recipes so it's great instead of flipping through an individual recipe or if you were you know 
remember a recipe that you saw in your book once, but you can't remember exactly which one, that's a way to find it. So I love using it when I have an ingredient, but I don't know what I want to do with it. I'll just throw it in there and see what I have. So I found a recipe for gnocchi and bok choy, which I thought sounded really good. And it was from this book. I was reading over, sounds delicious. I'm writing down the ingredients that I'll need. And at the bottom of the recipe, it says, and for more ideas, turn the page. And on the next page was pepperoni pizza gnocchi. And I said, well, husband's going out of town this weekend. I'll find something else to do with the bok choy because this needs to happen. (laughs) The kid loves gnocchi. He loves pepperoni pizza. I mean, it just seemed like a match made in heaven. I wrote down bok choy on the illustration list. (laughs) I keep a little list on the side of things that maybe I'll illustrate for the episode. And now I get to cross off bok choy. (laughs) Well, it is probably more artistic and beautiful to look at than pepperoni, I will say. True. But Just put a big it's red funny. X in yeah, it. Yeah, like X out the bok choy. No bok choy. I mean, we did have the bok choy later. I forget what I did with it. Oh, actually, I think I used it in the next recipe I'm going to talk about. Anyway, so you start off by pan frying the gnocchi, which is amazing. And it's just like a magic trick. Take the gnocchi out, throw in the pepperoni so you let it render a little bit. Get all that nice pepperoni oil going. Throw in your tomatoes, um, just cherry tomatoes, a bunch of them, probably onions and garlic. And then you throw the gnocchi back in and you add some cheese on top, which is always delicious. And then you bake it for a little bit. No liquid? A little bit of water and olives as well. Sorry, I did not write down the ingredients. I'm just remembering it. And I was a little bit free with my olive tossing in because we enjoy olives but we don't snack on them or anything. So if I have a recipe that calls for some olives, I end up with a jar of olives in the top shelf of the fridge and it just sits there until I throw it out. (laughs) So I figured I'll just, it was close enough. It's like, I'll just throw the extra olives in and it'll be fine. So I did possibly a few too many olives. As my son said, more pepperoni never hurts. So that would be true. But it was great. And I think it was A little bit different from what I thought. The tomatoes, you don't break them down until they're totally saucy. They're just soft and still have a lot of their texture, which was great. I think it could also be fun to make your own pizza sauce or honestly just grab a jar of Rouse or whatever your favorite is and make it more saucy. So it it wasn't dry because it did have the tomatoes and the cheese and the liquid from that. And the gnocchi were super soft and delicious. You could probably even do a can of diced tomatoes with the liquid if you, in a pinch. Yeah. It seems like a really user-friendly recipe. Yes, very adaptable. I recommend that one. I would say the only thing that I did have problems with, you put the, oh, we broiled it. That's what we did. That was what the problem was, is because you put the cheese and the pepperoni and then put pepperoni on top to be sort of decorative and, you know, more pepperoni is always a good thing. And you broil it for a while. My pepperoni got super dark. So I had to take it out, the whole thing out a little bit early because otherwise it was just going to be charcoal bits on top, which is not delicious. So I have to think about that one for a little bit, but definitely plenty of ways to tweak it to your own mm-hmm. personal liking and super easy and very delicious, which I think we all all appreciate. So then what I did end up doing with the bok choy was another Ali Slagle recipe. This one from I Dream of Dinner, which... I love very much her gojujang omelet, which I actually turned into a frittata because I was serving more than two people. 
So took the bok choy, sauteed it just a very little, mixed it with a little bit of the gojujang sauce, which is the Korean spicy business. In her original recipe, you make an omelet, you put a uh, lime juice in your eggs. I decided to make the whole thing into a frittata, which is even easier than an omelet. And, you know, I could up the number of eggs and serve more people, which is what I did. It was really good. My people put chili crisp on top because, you know, they like a little bit extra heat. I kind of was guessing at the amount of the sauce to add. I don't think I added enough, but it was an interesting, different flavor because I don't think I've ever put bok choy in my frittata before. I usually use broccoli or spinach or something. So I did like it. It was very tasty. There was some leftover. Husband had it for breakfast the next morning. So it was great. I was very excited about all of that. And then the finally, a hominy and tomatillo casserole from How to Cook Everything. Whew, this was an adventure. <laughs> so this was, what do I do with my tomatillos? A lot of things I found was various recipes for pozole. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Don't speak Spanish. But I realized that has hominy. I have hominy from one of my Rancho Gordo deliveries. So I decided, let me figure out how I can combine these. And I went through a lot of variations, mostly because most of the pozole recipes had pork in it, which was not going to work. I also needed something because I was going out last night that I could prep and my people could just maybe heat in the oven or they needed to be have to do minimal things to be able to eat that night. So I found this recipe. He had It was like a tomato and bean saute. And then he had three variations, like a tomato and bean casserole. And then he had a tomato and hominy casserole and then a chicken and tomatillo casserole, which also I will say sounded really good. But, you know, doing the vegetarian thing. So I cooked up my hominy. So I ended up doing kind of a combo of the last two, which was a little bit messing with my mind, but it all worked out fine. And it was really quite good. So it's a layer of the hominy, a couple of corn tortillas, sliced fresh tomatillos, which were from my produce box. Although he says you can use canned if that is easier to find. And then cheese, sliced onions, and then another layer. And then you bake it for a little bit. And it was really quite tasty. I think it could have used a little more liquid because I was expecting, I guess, the tomatillos to, I don't know, break down more. It wasn't dry, but I think I like a little more moistness. And I did really like the hominy in there. That was a cool flavor. So if I make it again, I might add some pre-made, like actual tomatillo salsa. Oh, that would be good. Just maybe on the bottom, just or, a little or bit. Like vegetable stock or something. Yeah, that would work too. Yeah. Um, just something to give it a little more moistness and help the tomatillos break down a little more. Yeah. But it was cool to have slices of them with their tanginess and, and the cheese. You know, that helped with the the moisture factor. How many more times can I say moist? <laughs> I I think all of us enjoyed it, but it, it probably needs a little more work to be perfection and a constant repeat for our family. How okay. about you? Well, given the chaos over at our house, I only have one new recipe. We were we were really we were not being very creative about our eating for a little bit there. I one night made the I have those Japanese sweet potatoes mm. from Veg Forward. I decided to make those one night with a little stir-fried red meat, like a little steak. 
that the guys wanted some beef. And I just did it with a lemony butter spinach. Super simple. But I did the Japanese sweet potatoes with nori. And I had laid everything out. I pre-cooked the potatoes because you chop them up and then you smash them on a cookie sheet with like the bottom of a glass. Oh, I remember seeing that recipe, but I had not looked at what you actually do with them. Yeah. That's fun. It is kind of fun. And then you paper the the top and the bottom with the nori. Mm. So I came down to prepare the di- the dinner and my husband was snacking on the package of nori. <laughs> so I had to go and grab it away and <laughs> I felt so bad. But also... <laughs> Come on, dude. I have that too. Yeah. You have to hide things in the pantry so uh-huh. they don't... It's not even... It's not like the snack box of nori. It was culinary grade nori. It wasn't for snacking. Because you have to toast it over uh, the burner. It's it's a, a thing. thing. It's yeah. a whole thing. So the recipe is really fun. It makes for these beautiful potato medallions that are gilded with nori, if you will. The thing that I learned from this was that... The recipe called for a lot of butter, like to brush butter on the potatoes, both sides. And we're trying to be really mindful. And so I just did a little bit of olive oil and I was not very generous with it. I kind of just dabbed it on the potatoes. And this type of potato is rather dry. So it could have benefited from a liberal dose of fat of some kind. I think I will make it again because I loved the flavor. And what my guys did was kind of used the pan drippings from the steak, which is the worst of all. (laughs) I should have just used the butter in order to infuse it with a little more succulents. So this, again, I'm running into your same problem here with, I could have probably spritzed them with chicken stock or there are a lot of different workarounds other than full-on fat, of course. And so it's just learning which recipes really need it and which ones can skate by with a little less. But the flavors were great, and it's very colorful, and purple foods are supposed to be excellent for you, and they were definitely purple. Not like Mm. the picture. The picture, and maybe I have a different potato varietal, in the in the cookbook there, they look more like a traditional sweet potato with a purple skin, the ones that I got, I didn't realize it till I sliced them up, were purple through and through. Hmm. So they were excellent. And find yourself some Japanese sweet potatoes and cook them up however you want. But I do recommend the nori and maybe some butter if you can abide. Butter is always. <sighs> like pepperoni, always good. <laughs> and pancetta. We have waxed poetic about pancetta. Oh, pancetta, yeah. I miss pancetta. Anyway, on the nightstand, first... I wanted to go back and correct a book title from last time that I was talking about because it is such a great book. And I combined two other book titles when I was trying to name this book, one of which was from the author and the other was a totally made up one. So the book I was trying to reference was Becky Chambers' Psalm for the Well-Built. She also has Prayer for the Crown Shy. And what I, I think what I ended up saying was Prayer for the Time Being, which I was confusing Ruth Ozeki's Tale for the Time Being, which is a totally different author and book. They're all great books. You should read all of them, especially the Becky Chambers. 
anyway, I just wanted to clear that up because I, I, I don't know if any of you care, but as I was editing, I was like, ah, oh, that is not what I meant. <laughs> and I know I totally screwed it up. Well, I think people do jot down. I, I mean, I listen to all different kinds of podcasts yeah. and I jot down recommendations. And so and the Becky Chambers it's just books. rare for you to have an errata. Uh, <laughs> not terribly rare, but yes. Anyway, those are the Becky Chambers books are really great. Very gentle, beautiful sci-fi books that I highly recommend. And last night, I got to go to an author event. I went to see V.E. Schwab because her new book, Fragile Threads of Power, just came out yesterday. So I went to a, a signing and she was in conversation with another local author, Maggie Takuda Hall. And she, V.E. Schwab, wrote The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. But this new book is a return to her previous series, the Shades of Magic, I think is what it's called, that I have also read that is fantastic. And when she wrapped up that trilogy, it seemed all wrapped up and done. But apparently she knew that she had left a little unresolved thread in there. And so she knew she was going to come back. And she figured time-wise, it would take her about seven years to get the, you know, get the other books she wanted to write out of the way and get back to it. And the new book starts seven years after the end of the old one. She's amazing. It was so much fun. So it was run by a bookstore, but it was at the library, the downtown public library. They have an event center. I, I was wondering if it would be a lot of Addie LaRue people. And it was people that knew deep V.E. Schwab lore. Like, I'm a fan, but I am not deep into it. There are people there in costumes. It was amazing. Wow, that is so fun. Yeah, and because it was a conversation, it wasn't just this author getting up, doing a reading, and then answering questions. So they had this beautiful chat. It was so fun. She talked a lot about, because the book just came out, I think she, obviously, she knew no one had read it because we all picked up our copy of the book there. Right. So she talked a lot about kind of other books, how she approaches her craft, which was fascinating. She apparently spends six months outlining everything scene by scene. And then goes back and starts writing because she, I guess, starts with the ending. She's like, the whole point of it is the ending. If you don't stick the ending, there's no point. So I want to make sure I've got it all lined up. And then I'll start actually filling in words and sentences and scenes. And so it was really interesting. And both of them were just delightful. Then we had some audience questions that were actually really interesting as well. It was just a super fun event. And I started reading the book as we were waiting for them to go on. So I have one more book I need to read, and then I'm going to dive in. So I'm very excited about that to get back into the world of the Four Londons. It's very exciting. But I like this series. The it's or- definitely more fa- fantasy. Okay. Yeah, Addie LaRue was a whole different Right, and I thing. loved Addie LaRue. Yeah, I think a lot of people did, but it was definitely more of a crossover. Okay. This is the one where there's four different Londons. There's our London, which is gray London, and then red, white, and black. And black has just been taken over by magic, by dark magic, and it's been sealed off. White London is kind of close to that. So they have magic, but it's getting corrupted. And then red London is just magic is awesome. Let's go. And there's people who can pass through all the Londons. This sounds Uh, awesome. It's super fun. And it, I think it gets filed as young adult because the people in it are in their early 20s. But I read it, and I mean, there's not a lot of angst, so <laughs> I was fine with it. It felt very adult. There's not a lot of... Uh, there's violence. Uh, I don't think there's sex. 
um, you know, I think that's usually how it gets. I I hate classified. Yeah, really great. And so in this new one, seven years later, she's going to bring back. I think most of the main characters, all the main characters, but she's introducing a bunch of new characters. It's going to be exciting. I'm excited. Okay, so what I've actually read, because we do usually talk about that as well. My first two books, it was hilarious because I was reading them at the same time. One I was reading in the book book form, and the other was an audiobook. And they both have main characters who are female authors who are really horrible people. <laughs> Just randomly this happened. So it was a little disconcerting. And I kind of enjoyed it, though. So the first one is the one I read. 30 Days of Darkness by Jenny Lund Madsen, translated from the Danish, I think, by Megan Turney. Our, well, she's not our heroine because she's awful. Well, she does this. This person has a redemption arc, sort of. Hannah is an author living in Denmark in Copenhagen, and she is a literary critical darling. She writes these very literary books. Critics love her. She does not sell a lot of books, though. And she gets into... <laughs> a public argument with a very successful crime writer. And she says, oh, any idiot can write a crime novel in 30 days. It's not hard. Media scandal. Her agent packs her off to Iceland to do a retreat and write a crime novel in 30 days. He's like, it doesn't matter what you write. You just have to write it because everyone's going to want to read it. It'll also increase sales of your old books. It'll be great. It's a win-win. You just have to write it. So she goes off to Iceland. Iceland, where we know. You can always find a dead body. Oh, yeah. One shows up the next morning in the harbor, not in the glacier. The glacier is right there, though. Melt off. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what a great premise. Oh, right? yeah. I'm, so, I'm obviously, totally she's going to have it. to investigate. But <sighs> it did not fully land for me. There were points at which I could not tell, is this a parody of a crime novel? Because she's so awful and just, like, bumbling around and trying to solve this murder and... But there were points when it was really great because she gets there and she figures we'll all be able to speak English to each other because, you know, everyone like nobody speaks Icelandic. But she's in this tiny little town. So many of the people, including her hostess, only speak Icelandic. If they don't speak Danish, they don't speak English. So she has no way to communicate with these people about what is going on. And now there's a dead body and weird things are going on. It's like early November. So the weather, you know, the there's not a lot of daylight. So it's a very, you know, strong sense of place. So in parts, it was great. In parts, it was irritating. Exactly. Yeah. So, but it was fun. And, and she does have a little bit of a, a redemption arc, but she is pretty horrible at the beginning. The other one, the one I listened to, which I loved the audio, I would highly recommend it on audio, is Yellow Face by R.F. Kuang. She wrote Babel, or Babel, however you want to pronounce it. And so this is her book after this one. It is the story of Junie Hayworth, who is a white girl, went to Yale and wants to be a writer. And she, in fact, is a writer. She published her first novel. It didn't do very well, though, and she doesn't have any more ideas. But her... Frenemy, Athena Liu, has been super successful. They were college classmates. Her first book, Gangbusters. She's had three books since then. She just got her first Netflix deal. She's like literary darling. And people love her stories. So they are hanging out, celebrating Athena's deal when she accidentally dies. And Junie is the only witness. And she calls the police and the ambulance. But she also picks up the only typewritten copy of the just-finished manuscript that Athena has written. 
her process is she doesn't talk to anybody about what she's writing. Nobody sees it. So no one has seen it. No one knows what this book is about. She's like, I'll just take she edits it, sends it off to her agent and says, look what I just wrote. And it is about Chinese laborers in World War One. And she's a white girl. She's a white girl. And her editors are like, this is an amazing book. They rebrand her as Juniper Song, which is actually her name because she had hippie parents. So it's her real first and middle name. She has a new photo taken that makes her ambiguously ethnic. And everyone is just this is kind despicable. of... despicable. My mouth, my it's jaw It's so is... awful. But everyone is like bought into it. They never officially lie, but they never correct statements. So the whole thing is like, is she going to get caught? Other things happen. It's all from her first, from June's first person point of view. So she's obviously justifying herself. Like who can tell the stories about who? But also it is an Asian author telling this story from a white girl's point of view. So it's fascinating on many levels. I loved it. I, I mean, really? I, yeah, I thought it was great. It, you know, it raises lots of interesting questions. I mean, 100% she stole the book. Right. <laughs> right. That's, that was not right. But it is an interesting question. We had this question with Horse, like who gets to tell the stories? And if you have the voice. There was that other story too, like American Dirt. Yeah. That. That was a big one. Yeah. Was an embroilment. Yeah. That still gets. Yep. As far as the literary side of it goes, gets tremendous compliments. Right. It's and great. tremendous disparagement from a lot of faction, uh, factions. Factions. Yeah. That works. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's really interesting. I highly recommend that one. But yeah, <laughs> June is a piece of work. I have to say I was completely wrapped when you were summarizing the plot because I was like, no way. She's not going to. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so well done, Monica. You're so good oh, at the re. Thanks. The rehash. I try. Um, my other audiobook was Garlic and Sapphires, The Secret Life of a Food Critic by Ruth Reichel, which is from 2005. I can't believe I haven't actually read this one yet, but now I have. It was a delight. So she was the food critic for the New York Times in the 90s. And so this is her stories of her adventures. She had to, I don't know if she had to, she decided to dress up in costume so that she wouldn't be recognized. And she would occasionally go to the restaurants as herself, and they would always immediately recognize her. And then she would go in these costumes. So she talks about all the elaborate costumes that she is wearing and how she designed them and how she would think about the people that she was trying to be and what she was trying to figure out. And then she talks about the restaurants and she's eating, she eats at a lot of different restaurants. She, the previous critic had been very continental, top tier restaurants. And she's going to Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Indian, you know, she's eating every kind of restaurant and putting and doing the reviews of those restaurants as well, which was apparently annoyed a lot of people. And then she would go to the previous four star restaurants and give them you know, one, two, three stars, which also really annoyed people. But her point was... You can find good food anywhere. Yes. And also, even if the food is great, if the service isn't, and you're treating mm. people as unworthy of eating your food, then that's not a great restaurant. Right. So that was really interesting. And they reprint some of her 
reviews. And they also, she has some recipes in there, which on an audiobook is super annoying because you have to fast forward because I'm not going to listen to someone read a recipe. I mean, I guess you could. They're not terribly long. We talk about recipes. All we talk about, <laughs> no, but we don't sit there going two cups of flour, three cups right, of butter. Ooh, right. That would be an interesting recipe. So it was really good. She, Ruth does not read it. They have a professional reader who did, I thought, quite well. It got a little bit, she got a little bit too much into trying to find meaning of her with her time there with taking on these personalities and then, you know, how, who am I going to be? And it got a little bit woo woo at the end, but the rest of it was fascinating. I really enjoyed it. So that one that I would recommend. I've read some other of her books as well. I think she's a, she's a really good writer. And then I'm back, I'm back to some romance, which I feel like I haven't read in a long time. The first one was The One by Julia Argy. This is the story of Emily, who has, uh, she's in her early 20s, and she's just gotten fired from her job. And she's walking down the street on her way to, to find a coffee shop so she can send out resumes. And a woman asks her if she would like to come audition to be on The One, which is uh, you know, The Bachelor or bachelorette kind of show. She says, sure, why not? She gets cast at the last minute. And so it's mostly the story of her being on the one. She really does want to find love. She has been raised very conservatively in a small town. And she thinks that's kind of what she needs to do is find a husband. Obviously, shenanigans ensue. It was a little more, I would say, realistic and less fluffy than a lot of romances. Emily is going through a lot. It's almost a coming of age and less about the romance, I would say. I've read a couple of, you know, reality TV show based fiction in the past. And this one really leaned into the downtime and like when the girls are all just hanging out and the fact that, you know, they couldn't have books, they couldn't bring their phones like that. I, that I not that anybody is asking me to be on a dating show for various reasons, but not being able to have your books for whatever it is, six weeks of filming would just, ha, no, no, thank you. Couldn't. But that was all very interesting. Those behind the scenes kind of expose books are, I find really, really interesting. And the, the characters were good. It had a lot of good themes and I enjoyed and, the, and they get to go to Italy and, and actually they went to Iceland too, I think so. Some, some nice travel writing in there. So not my most is favorite. It's a little, it's a, I would say it leans a little into the, the women's fiction. If, if you're not a huge romance fan, this is not exactly that, but, but still a really a good fun book. And then one that was just total delight, Kiss the Girl by Zoreta Cordova. She wrote The Inheritance of Orcada Divina, which I read last year, which was like a fantasy family drama. But apparently she also writes romance novels under another name. But this one is a romance novel. It is the third in the Disney princess retelling series. So this is her retelling of uh, The Little Mermaid, which I gotta say, I was wondering how they're going to pull that off. Because I mean, all of the Disney princesses are problematic, but this one feels especially problematic. She did a great job. It was super fun. I loved every minute of it. Ariel Delmar is the youngest of seven sisters, and they have a pop band that she has been in since she was 10, and now she's 25. The band has just retired. It's a very Jackson 5 kind of vibe with like the cranky dad controlling everything. And so there's a lot of family dynamics. Um, but the sisters all really get along. They love each other. They support each other. They finish their final tour. And Ariel and one of her sisters sneak off to go watch this local band. They live in New York. 
She has a meet cute with the lead singer, Eric Reyes. Shenanigans ensue. She ends up joining the band on their first national tour as the merch girl because nobody knows who she is. And she decides what she really needs is to find herself and discover who she really is and, you know, who she wants to be when she's not part of this world famous pop band. But she can't sing because people would recognize her voice. So she's lost her voice, which I thought was very clever. So obviously, you know, they have lots of shenanigans. It's definitely, it's closed door and just really sweet. And you've got backstage on a road tour, (laughs) which is kind of fun. The author is from Ecuador. So her characters are definitely South American diaspora bunch of characters. Eric is from Colombia. The band manager is from Cuba, I think. Ariel's parents are from Ecuador. I think there's a few more in there. So that was really cool as well, just to have that different representation. It was it was just a delight. I really I blasted through it, I think in two days, stayed up too late last night finishing it. So that was I recommend the whole series. They've all been really just super sweet and enjoyable. And I like those a lot. And then finally, The Vaster Wilds by Lauren Groff, her latest one. Our library has been just blasting out the, the, the new books. That's great. Very exciting. So this is her latest. And something I found out is that it is part of a planned trilogy with The Matrix as the first one. Kind of a, a loosely environmental trilogy, which... I can see that, especially with this one. So this is the story of a young servant girl who escapes from the Jamestown colony during the while they are starving in early spring. And she's also fleeing from something that we eventually find out what it is. And she is trying to make her way through the woods. And we get the story of her survival. And we get the story of her past and all of her many troubles and thoughts along the way. It is just a really hard but beautiful book. I don't think goes the way you think it might, but really great descriptions of nature and what she's going through. I mean, I just love all of, well, I don't, I haven't read all of Lauren's books, but the ones I have read, I have enjoyed. Great. Recommend that one as well. How about you? I have three for you. So remember last week when I told you that I was reading two books called The Exiles or Exile? Both took place in Australia, and I split them up intentionally so that I didn't get them confused as I tend to do. So last week I talked about The Exile by Jane Harper. This week I'm telling you about The Exiles by Christina Baker Klein, which goes into the time machine to the 1840s when Britain was repatriating their convicts to Australia. And they were colonizing and taking over huge swaths, displacing Aboriginal populations. Yeah, that that's a whole like history class, semester long at least, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and this book takes the time to address that in a way that is really up close and meaningful. So there are, I think, three characters. There's Evangeline and Hazel and Mathena. Evangeline and Hazel are convicted of the most ridiculous crime and sentenced... Like Jean Valjean, kind of. Yeah, just wrongly convicted, but they are sentenced to seven years of labor in Australia. The main portion of the story is really 
the getting there because, boy, that was not coach. That was not even (laughs) economy class. It was miserable. And if you survived that, you were lucky. And so with, I'm not as, as adept. We're almost five years in and I still don't want to spoil things for people because I know I was shocked with happenings, but the the women are on board the ship with some really salty characters and there is tragedy and violence. When they get to Australia, one of them has had a baby and they take her baby away and put it in an orphanage. And so that child is like growing up without a mother and and they do what they can to go and visit her. And then there's another little girl, Mathena, who is orphaned by her native family. And I think we're in Tasmania. They don't call it that, but Mm. I meant to look it up and I neglected. And so she is adopted by this British family who think that they can teach her how to be civilized. She can read and write, but she is obviously, she's a dark-skinned native and Everybody can see that, and so she becomes more like an object, and it's just a terrible, it's a terrible life for her, and and how her life intersects with the women convicts, and how they, you know, they all go through this really tumultuous period together, and then find each other. So I think it was just really important to hear that Native perspective, because they had been there for 10,000 years and here comes this population thinking that they're going to change the civilization and and it's a really rough climate and the natives have so much knowledge and it's all of that colonial malarkey <laughs> yes thank you i think it's based or at least the the um the female convict portion of it is based on the shipping manifests mm. and i appreciate her research into what it was really like for people to travel that far and and not know where they were heading and anyway it was hard but enjoyable i also read the woman in the library by solari gentile i read a book maybe in the springtime that was similar the one that took place at the the cloisters mm. it was like some This is a little bit meta because it's like a mystery within a mystery. And the woman who, our main character in this, she's a writer and she's working at the Boston Public Library. There's a murder at the library and she befriends these three other strangers. They become a weirdly close tag team in under a month. Another one of them is a writer and they're all trying to figure out the mystery of this death that took place while they were all in the reading room at the Boston Public Library. I liked this book because I went to college right outside of Boston, and I lived there for several years. It was enjoyable to hear the Boston scenes. And then there was this other weird voice that the writer was using to bounce ideas off of, and he was actually the Boston native, and she he was correcting her because she's Australian, What's up with the Australia today? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. And so come to find out he's maybe a murderer and the FBI gets involved. And so I really felt 
a little lost, just like keeping my strings. Because the story of the murder in the library is actually her book, right? That you're reading the drafts of. Right. And she's sent to this dude for the to edit it for for like Boston comments. Right. Because he's the yeah. he's the local I started author. reading it and I was listening to it and it wasn't landing for me. I was like, eh. It didn't. But it sounds like something I would yeah. like. It, it was good for the hectic life that we're living at home right now because it was, it's a very dip in, dip out kind of book. Yeah. Except maybe that I wasn't tracking the threads as successfully as I thought I was. So yeah, it's an, it's an interesting, it's not super captivating, but there was a definite moment when I was like, okay, I'm definitely finishing this now. Okay. Yeah. Cause I don't think I got there, but maybe I'll, I'll swing back. I don't have a current audiobook that I want to listen to. So I'm, I'm waiting for my next Sue Grafton. <laughs> so I need something to, to pass the time. Yeah, I don't know how that would be on audio. I read it in in paper. So yeah. it was I think we had different readers for the various mm. voices. So that helped. Yeah. I don't remember being confused, but just kind of like, wah, wah. yeah, I don't know. saving the absolute best for last. I read Dinosaurs by Lydia Millet. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Working on that paleontology degree. I am. It's definitely my own brand of paleontology degree, clearly, because I'm reading a piece of fiction called Dinosaurs that has absolutely nothing to do with paleological dinosaurs. <laughs> this book, oh my gosh, was so surprising. Tremendous character growth, especially the main character, Gil. He is exceptional. She has rendered him so beautifully. As best as I possibly can, I will summarize this. Gil loses his parents really young, so he's orphaned. He's in New England and he's shipped off to cold relatives who raise him. They raise him at a distance. It's not very warm. I think he, I don't remember if he goes to, I don't think he goes to boarding school, but he's with a grandmother and might as well have been. And it's not until that she dies that he realizes he came from significant oil money and he's very wealthy. And that coupled with all of this loss has really challenged him to find the meaning in his life. He's very conflicted about being an oil heir and what that means. Dinosaurs. He is living in New York City and he's just not really connecting with people. He's been dating this woman who just walks out one day and right early on in the book, he decides that in order to heal, he is going to walk from New York City to Arizona, I think, for a change of scenery. So he, okay. sh yeah, he ships all of his stuff and he puts on some running shoes and he packs really lightly. I mean, he's a multimillionaire, you know, but he takes his time and he walks and he thinks he's going to. He thinks he's going to find meaning in all of this. Mm. And it, it doesn't really seem like he does. You know, he just kind of does the walk. But it still feels fulfilling to walk for 10 months and have that sense of purpose. So when he lands in Arizona, he purchases a house next door to this family. And they all have these big glass windows and he can kind of see in and he sees their family dynamics, and he's alone in his big house. He makes friends with them, and they become kind of a group. Gil has so many redeeming qualities. He volunteers. He wants to help people. He he cares for people. He 
is helping the family next door. He wants their family unit to thrive, but he's still conflicted about what happened with the woman in New York. And he has very few friendships, he feels. And one of that, when one of them dies, it's this catalyst for him to really evaluate the people in his life and, and how he can find a sense of purpose. The book is, it does not rush that, you know, it's not a fast paced mystery novel. It's not, it's not a romance. It's not, it's not really like anything else I've ever read. It's that slow. Well, I can't say that. I'm sure there are other interesting character arcs that I could, if I thought about it, but there, it's a quieter book, I guess is my point. I thought that this was just an excellent novel, heavy on the characterization. I think, you know, for me, the amateur paleontologist, there is some bird watching going on in the background. And Love then that for you. Thank you. And then the oil, oil money representing dinosaur. Representing dinosaurs. It sounds like that one could be a good book club that there would be a lot of absolutely and it's discussion a, a slimmer novel and i was oh i packs a lot in there uh-huh her prose is very spare and so clear i loved this book this is hmm. a this is one of my favorites from the year so far wow yeah it's a total surprise interesting i literally did you think it was going to be about dinosaurs no, she also wrote the children's Bible or something like that, that I haven't read. I am so excited to go and read other work in her back catalog because, wow, this was just so transportive for me. So I, I'm thrilled to leave you with that quiet little gem of a novel. Love it. Yeah, sometimes you just, you need those ones that are totally character based and slow and quiet and... But you also have to be in the Raymond for it. But you sounds like do. it was the time for you. This was me searching dinosaurs in the library catalog. And I thought, oh, sure. You know, I do this all the time and get weird books. So, nice. well, not all the time, but, you know, when I... It happens. When I'm working on an advanced degree. <laughs> yep. Excellent. All right. Well, until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf at C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.